Welcome to church once again. I pray and trust that you have felt the Lord's presence this morning as I have. He is here. He is in this place. And I believe He wants to speak to our hearts today. And uh, I know He will. I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Philippians. Philippians is where we're going to be looking today. We're going to be looking at another one of Paul's prayers as we continue our Community Life Group series on prayer. If you haven't been here the last two weeks, that's okay. It's not too late to join a group. Amen? It's not too late to grow with brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not too late. It's not too late until the Lord comes back. And we want to be ready for that. Amen? So if you weren't here the last couple of weeks, let me just give you a quick recap of, of what we've been talking about in this prayer series. Uh, we've been talking about prayer in a, in a couple different ways, in a couple different fashions. And then even the next two weeks, we're going we're gonna to kind of turn left a little bit with it when it comes to prayer and talk about a couple different uh, areas of prayer and how that works for us. But week one, we talked about just prayer and what it is. And we talked about uh, three, three simple things. Prayer is talking to God. Prayer is asking God and prayer is praising God. And then I hope that you were able to get into your groups and unpack that a little bit and expand on that a little bit. Then last week we talked about how Paul and Jesus prayed a specific prayer for unity. And they prayed that we would, have, that we would be of one mind and one voice and one heart. We'd have unity. Why? So that God would be glorified and the world would know. So Paul and Jesus prayed, I pray so that, and we prayed for unity, so that we should pray for unity as well. And we learned about what it meant to really be a united body of Christ and to love one another. Today we look at Paul's prayer in Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, a very similar pattern that he prays, and we're going to look at this a little bit closer, but this is his prayer and in a nutshell. It says, and this is my prayer. Pretty, pretty clear, amen? I love it when the Bible is clear. The Bible is clear and true and honest. And here he says, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. We could unpack that. We could be here all day unpacking that. That's a big verse there. That's a big, that's a big part of this prayer. But he's not stopping there. And I pray that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that, he's praying, he's triggering heaven, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Wow. Have you ever wondered what is best in your life? Have you ever, have you ever had two decisions to make, or maybe more than that, and you thought, well, this is good, this is good, but what is best? What is best? And, and, and I, I've, I've, I've asked myself in recent months, uh, I've asked the Lord to help me when it comes to praying prayers like this, but just praying in general. I've asked the Lord to, to transform my prayer life in recent months. And I've asked Him to just, to just open up a new area of my life, a new understanding of what it means to communicate with the Father. And I'm so thankful that, that the Lord uh, does a great job of, of meeting our needs. Amen? Not only have I prayed this prayer for myself, I, I went to somebody I trusted. I went to my wife and I said, Alicia, I need you to, 
to pray with me that God would transform my prayer life. I, I want you to be praying for me as we pray together that God would do this for me. I asked her for her her input, her intercession in my life for this. And, and God did some amazing things in those first couple of weeks as I was praying this prayer. Uh, one of the things that, that happened, and this was a while ago that, that I was praying this prayer, but God opened the door for me to go at the time we were in Missouri, and uh, we were pastoring there, and, and life was chaotic and crazy as it normally is. But there was an opportunity for me to get away for a few days and go to our district prayer gathering. And, and I went to the prayer gathering, and I was excited. I was looking forward to it because I'd been praying that God would transform my prayer life, that He'd open my eyes to see something in a new way. And I was praying, God, what is, what is, how do I know what's best in my prayer life? And I get to, I get to our campground there in, in, at Pinecrest Campground in Missouri, and uh, we, we have our first service. And as we're praying and we're worshiping together and we're, going, we're just starting off, somebody got up and started testifying about the fact that our, our children are missing the opportunity to know what it means to pray. And my heart was pricked because I'm sitting there as a pastor of a church who's asking God to transform his prayer life, and yet I'm being challenged now that my children are of that generation that don't know what it's like to be at prayer meeting. They don't know what it's like to, to pray those prayers themselves. And as, as it continued, the Lord, the Holy Spirit just continued to, to, to convict me and said, you know what, you need to call Alicia and you need to get your family here. Now, granted, there are no kids at this thing. It's all a bunch of us old pastor people that are there. Okay? There are no kids there. There wasn't a thought of having a kid there. And yet, in this first service, the, the challenge was our kids were losing a generation. And so I called Alicia in the break. I said, I, I know you're busy. I know you've got a lot going on. I know you're running kids everywhere, but I really think you need to be here. She goes, what do I do about the kids? I said, you bring the kids. They need to be here. It, it caused a heated debate on the phone because I was messing up the plan. But she came, and she brought the kids, and she got there. And I said, I know that you've gone through a lot of work to do this and make this happen. And I'm really thankful for that. I said, let's go in here and let's just, let's just worship together. Let's, let's, let's get off on the right foot and let's let the Lord just move in our life. And we go in and we sit down. And obviously there's no kids there, so our kids are noticed as we walk in as being the only kids there. And we sit over off to the side. And the service starts, to, it starts and we're, we're worshiping and we're we're praising the Lord together, and then all of a sudden, this couple in front of us, this lady in front of us, begins to have a seizure. And she begins to lay down on the, on the chair next to her. Her husband is helping her. Thankfully, there was a few nurses that were around that saw it going on. We're literally standing right behind them, one row behind them. My kids are watching this entire thing unfold. And as the service goes, the nurses are there. They're calling the paramedics in. And, and she's, she's laying there. They're taking care of her. And we're still standing as we're worshiping, just like we were just a minute ago. And so we're literally looking down on, on the scene. And my first thought as a parent was like, do I need to remove them so that we can be out of the way for the paramedics? But then my second thought was, let's see what the Lord does here. The service begins to die down and people begin to notice what's happening. They start to direct prayer time for this lady that's going through this. 
The paramedics have already been called, but the person who's in charge of the service and kind of facilitating the service begins to pray that God would not need to use the paramedics. And he begins to pray that when the paramedics got there, that we'd be able to just say, thank you, but we got this, God's got this, and it's okay. And we begin praying, but she's still having her seizures. She's still going through her things. The, the stretcher comes in, the paramedics come in, and they're, they're working with her. I, I kid you not, I can't make this stuff up, folks. I come in there, and we're still standing there. We didn't move. We're still standing there. The paramedics are there. We hear them talking to them. And they're like, should we go? Can we take you out? Can we get you some help that you need? And she's sitting up at this point, and she said, no, I feel fine. She goes, I've had, this, I've had this all my life. I've been on medication all my life. And she goes, as they were praying, I just, it was like the Lord just took it away. My whole body just left. She's able to testify right then and there in the middle of this service. And we literally said thank you, but no thank you to the paramedics. And they walked out the door. And I looked at my three kids and I just thought, God, this is what was best for them. This is what was best for them. They just saw. They, they hear their dad talk about this all the time, but they just saw prayer work. They just saw God do a miracle right in front of them, literally in the row in front of them. This is what's best for them. No matter what happened the rest of that trip, I'm so thankful that God placed in my heart a desire to pray that He would show me what's best. That He would show me what's, what's best. You see, Alicia and my prayers were being answered right there in that moment. But I want you to know something this morning. Being a prayer warrior is a struggle for me. Prayer is a struggle for me, and I'm a pastor. And so I just want to admit right here this morning and confess to you that there are times that I am a prayer struggler. And I'm not going to make you raise your hands, but I'm sure there's some of you that are out there that are just like me. You struggle to pray sometimes. You struggle with what to pray or how to pray or even how long to pray or, or what I should include in my prayers or who I should include in my prayers. And it's just kind of like an ongoing battle, an internal struggle to really pray God's will. I struggle with that and I've had to work at it. Prayer is something I've had to work at in my life. And, and I, would, I would hope, and, and again, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but I would hope that I'm not alone in that. And I would hope that if the Lord's placed this on my heart to share and be vulnerable with you, that somebody out there is, is, has struggled with this as well. That you struggle sometimes to pray, to really know and pray, God, what is best for me? How do I know what's best? I want to tell you another story uh, about my own life, and I want to just kind of continue this story as a kind of an ongoing illustration for us today. You can kind of look at my life and maybe draw some comparisons for yourself, maybe. Hopefully the Lord will use this. But let me just start the story with this. When I was in high school, I had been living for the Lord and doing my best. I knew, I knew at 13 that I was going to be a pastor or that I was going to be a preacher, and I needed to go to school for that, and I needed to start that process. So my senior year of high school, I was pumped. I was ready because I was like, okay, I'm finally ready. Now I've waited all of these years 
to get to school to start my dream. That's what I felt like. And as I was praying, I knew there were so many different options for me when it came to school. And I started praying, Lord, Lord, what is the best place for me to go? And I, I began to visit some different schools. My dad, he went to Mid-America Nazarene University, Mid-America Nazarene College at the time. So there was a family uh, history there and that I, that I liked that aspect of going somewhere where my dad went. But then uh, we had an opportunity to go and visit Southern Nazarene University down in uh, Bethany, Oklahoma. Amen, amen, yes. <laughs> And, and I'll tell you what, I went down to, to SNU at that time. My dad was preaching a revival in Dell City, Oklahoma, and I got to go with him. And we were going to go visit the school one of the days that we were there. And as we went to the campus, we, we got on campus, and this was not a normal visit time for the school. There wasn't a lot of high school students there. It was just a normal college day. But as we drove up onto the campus, and, and I don't know how many, how many of you have ever been to Southern Nazarene University? Couple of you, good. So when you when you drive onto campus, they have this they have this big sign that's right on the edge of their campus, very similar to ours outside, only bigger. Okay, and it's up high. And as we're driving up, my dad goes, "Look at that sign." And I looked over at the sign, and it said, "We want to welcome B.J. Thielander to campus." I thought, boy, if you ever ask God for a sign, boom, there it is. I go through my visit. They treated me like royalty. I loved it. I was the only visit that day on campus. They took me into the gift shop or the, they said, pick out anything you want. Whew. I was used to being on the Mid-America region, so I went and got a hat. I said, is this too much? They said, is that all? <laughs> so they wanted me to take as much as I could, and I couldn't believe it. I got to go to a religion class and got to meet a professor and this was a really cool thing. This, this is not in your notes, leaders, but this is free. It's part of the illustration. The thing they really wanted to get me with is I was in the religion building, and I'm, I'm in this upper division class, and we're walking out, and this, this student that they had me shadowing, he is talking to me, and he says, you know what? A lot of people come to a Nazarene school, and they find their, their mate. And uh, there are people that come to school to actually they feel called to marry pastors. And so there will be people, as we come around the corner into the commons area of this building, there are going to be girls there that are just sitting there waiting for us. I thought, there is no way this is true. God, what is best for me? Snoo, MNU, I don't know. I kid you not, we walked down the stairs into this commons area, and there were ten girls to every one boy. And I thought, Lord, what are you trying to tell me? So needless to say, I prayed and I prayed. SNU was offering a lot of scholarships. Mid-America was offering a lot of scholarships. And I couldn't come to a decision. I got to the end of the time and I'm, I'm praying, Lord, what is best for me? Do you want me to go to this school or this school? Do you want me to do this or that? And I just kept praying and no, I never got an answer. And finally I went to my dad and I said, Dad, what am I supposed to do? I'm praying that the Lord would show me what He wants me to do, what's best for my life. And my dad said something very wise to me at the time. And he said, sometimes the Lord puts two decisions, two options in your path that are both His blessing. And He gives you the choice to choose. And I thought, wow, 
I'm the type of guy that does the 50-50-90 rule. I think I've shared this with you. You got a 50-50 choice and 90% of the time you make the wrong one? That was me. So anyway, I, I'm sitting there as an 18-year-old young man trying to decide, God, what is the best choice for me? I don't know about you, but have you ever had, a, had something in your life where you're praying for God's best? How many of you right now would be so bold and honest to say, right now I am praying for something in my life where I just want to know what God's best is for me? Would you just raise your hand? Amen. I want you to keep your hands up. Keep your hands up high. Everybody who's praying for God's best right now. Amen. Amen. I want everybody else to look around. If you ever wonder what's best for your life, these are people that you need to talk, point out, okay? Because they're praying the same way you are, okay? We want to pray. We want to seek God for what's best in our life. I want us to look at this text one more time. Philippians 1, 9 and 10. And I want us to see from this prayer from Paul how we can pray what's best in our life. And this is my prayer. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Would you pray with me this morning? God, we want your best for us today. Would you speak to our hearts? Would you speak into our life? The assurance that you love us. The promise that you will walk with us. And the hope that we have to live for you. God, I give you this time. I ask you to use it how you see fit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Paul says something very, very, uh, very important right away. He says, I pray that your love may abound more and more. Sometimes I wonder when we use that word love, is it really the best word to use? To use this same theme. Paul's using a word here, the love, the word love here that he's talking about is not the same word that I will use a little bit later today when I talk about my team. It's not even the same word that I will use later when I talk about how good the food is that my wife has cooked for lunch. When I say I love watching the Denver Broncos, and I love eating home-cooked food from my wife, those are good, strong, descriptive words. Those are, those are very valuable words when it comes to trying to encourage people or, or really showing what we really mean. But I think we've, we've diminished the word love in our society to the point where we don't even think it's important sometimes. And I think we need to be very careful about that word. But Paul's using the word love here in the original language. The word love that he's using is the word agape. Agape love. What is agape love? Agape love is unconditional love. It's, it's God's love for us. It's, it's love that has no measure. It's, it's love that is truly the heart of God. In other words, it's the type of love that knows what's best for you and not just what you want. It's the kind of love that will transform us from the inside out. 
It changes our perspective on life. When we, when we experience this kind of love from God, and we experience this love, and Paul's praying that we would experience this love so that it would abound more and more. What is he saying? So that you would have the same love for others. Just like we talked about last week. When we love one another with agape love, that changes things. When we love each other in the church with phileo love or brotherly love, that's good, but it's not agape love. Agape love is God's love. It's unconditional love. It's love that matters. It's love that means something. It's love that changes our perspective. As a parent, I... I think I have a grasp on what this feels like. I remember when our children were born and being in the delivery room in those moments. And in in one moment, you're worried about your wife and the health of her, and you're worried about making sure that you have the right car seat and enough clothes and everything's right back at, at home. But as soon as that happens where that life comes to life, and they cry their first cry and you know they're alive and they're breathing changes your life forever. I didn't know I could love somebody as much as I love my children. That's agape love for how I understand it in the flesh, in the world. They didn't do anything to deserve it. They didn't mess anything up to make me lose that love for them. But in a moment, in an instant, just because they are, I love them. That's how God loves us. Just because you are, just because you're here, just because you're alive, just because you were created by Him, He loves you that much. You see, and once we get that, it changes our perspective on things. It changes how we view the world. It changes our lifestyle. I want to share this story with you. I was uh, not serving in ministry at the time. I was working or working in the, in the secular world, selling insurance and, and, and doing some other things and going to church. And I started going to church with my, at my dad's church with, with my wife, and we were going, and we were just trying to get involved, but we weren't really doing anything. We were just going to church. And uh, so one of the nights, we were the guys were playing basketball like we do here sometimes, and I went to go play basketball that night, and one of the guys we were playing with, he'd dribble down the court and something bad would go happen, and he'd yell profanities, and I thought, boy, this is, this is rough. It's a rough crowd. Except he was a children's worker at the church. So I went into my dad's office like a good Christian that's not doing anything should do and complained about him. Um, I said, Dad, you need to do something about this guy. He's leading your kids, but this is what he, this is what he acts like on the floor. My dad just sits back in his chair and crosses his arms. He said, BJ, what are you doing for the Lord? I said, uh, well, I'm trying to live for him the best I can. I'm, I'm coming to church. I'm, I'm tithing. He goes, yeah, but what are you doing for him? I said, well, nothing really. He goes, well, at least he's doing something. At least he's trying. And you know what? God's love for him is so great and so vast. It's the same love for you. And he started teaching me about this. But it changed my perspective. It changed the way I looked at this man. Now I saw him the way God saw him. 
And now I could see things a little bit differently. It changed my perspective. I understood a little bit more about what God wanted, what His best was. You know, here's a silly example for you. Sometimes it, it changes our perspective. I want you to see this picture. How many of you ever use FedEx? They come to my house about two or three in the afternoon, almost every day as much as we order online, yeah. Uh, we're getting to know our FedEx driver. Uh, it's, it's pretty cool. Um, FedEx is, is, a, is a, as far as I know, they, I mean, they're a good company. They get our packages to us and they take care of us and we really enjoy them. And, and I'm thankful for that. But one of the things I didn't notice for, for a long time was this logo. I thought, oh, that's cool. It says FedEx. Well, then show the next clip. Did you know there was an arrow in their logo? Kind of like that. That's this FedEx Express. Here we go. We'll keep moving forward. An arrow. I don't know what it means for them, but it's there on purpose. If you look at a FedEx logo, every FedEx logo you see has this arrow in it. It has this arrow. And I thought, you know what? Now I look at FedEx a little bit differently. And you will probably too. Now that I've pointed it out to you, if you never saw this, you will no longer see FedEx without the arrow. Kind of interesting. Changes our perspective when somebody points it out to us, right? It changes how we view things. So, as we think about this when it comes to our prayer life, how can I really know what is best for my life? Here's the sermon in a sentence for you. If you get nothing else, get this. If you're taking notes, jot this down. How do I know what's best? The key to knowing what is best is knowing God. The key to knowing what is best is knowing God. I think we can know what's best by knowing God, and by knowing God, that means we must have a relationship with Him. Throughout my life, seeking God's best for my life, I've, I've, I've never personally heard an audible voice of God. I don't know what God's voice sounds like. I, I can't tell you I've heard an audible voice from the Lord. But I've had times in my life where I could discern the Lord speaking to me. And I could hear Him speaking into my spirit through different avenues and through different ways. How could I do that? Because I had a relationship with Him. Because I was talking to Him. Because I was trying to find out what was best. Because I was going to church and I was worshiping Him. And I was spending time with others that believe in Him. I was having a relationship with God through these ways. You see, I didn't have an audible voice when God called me into ministry at 13. I was sitting there and I, I knew that God wanted me to be in full-time ministry because I was sitting on the back pew and as this guy was preaching and, and he was preaching a good sermon. He was filling in for my dad and we're in our home church and all of a sudden I find myself at the altar because I felt like the Lord impressed me and said, you know what, you need to do this. Will you surrender your life and do this? Will you preach and teach my word? And so I, I, I committed to that, and I began to explore what it meant to be in full-time ministry, and I started going through all the process. And as a 13-year-old young man, I started trusting the Lord for what was best in my life. And so I started to answer this question, how can I know what's best, and how can I know God more? So here's the, here's the other question we need to answer today. How can I know God? I want to give us three very practical, very simple ways that we can really know God and what He wants for our life. The first one is this. We've got to ask others. We've got to ask others. Proverbs 15.22 says, Plans go wrong for lack of advice. 
many counselors bring success. So in, in my story, what I began to do at 13, I went to my dad and I said, Dad, I just felt like the Lord is leading me into full-time ministry. And I'm a 13-year-old kid and my dad, he, he just kind of said, oh, okay, well, let's pray about that. Let's make sure. And he kind of left it there. He kind of let me sit in it for a while. So I went to somebody else. I went to my youth leader at the time, Phil. And I said, Phil, I think the Lord's leading me into full-time, youth, or full-time ministry, and, and I don't know what to do next, and I just need some help, and I need you to, know, to help me to know if this is really from the Lord. And so what Phil did, he said, all right, let's, let's put you to the test, <laughs> like a good youth pastor would do, right? He goes, why don't you teach Sunday school Sunday? I'm 13. There's seniors in high school in this class, and people that'll just spit on me. Well, let's just see. See how, see how it goes. So I taught Sunday school. It went great. I loved it. It was so much fun. It was, it was a thrill. He goes, that was, that was cool. I said, what's next? He goes, how about Wednesday night? Why don't you preach Wednesday night? Um, never done that before. Well, let's start. So I asked Phil, and Phil began to confirm God's call in my life. He began to speak into me and really invest in my life and to really help me to see what, what producing fruit for the Lord was really about. And I asked Phil, and I asked my dad, and I asked others, as, as I began to define my call and began to really confirm that, one of the things I wanted to do even before my call to ministry was I wanted to go into the military. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to go into the military. And once I got this call from God, I thought, you know what, I can just be a chaplain in the military. They got people for this. So what did I do? I went and asked a guy that was in the military, and he, he was friends with the chaplain in the Air Force. That was the branch I wanted to go into. And he put me in contact, gave me his phone number. He said, why don't you call him and see what, he's, what his life's been about and how he got there and everything else that went on. So I did. And then I talked to him, and I, and I asked him about his call, and I asked him about how, how he knew what God was saying to him in his life. You see, I went and asked others, because the, the counsel of the wise will help us. I believe God speaks through other people. If we can't hear an audible voice, I believe that God can confirm his, his voice in our life through those people that love us, that care about us, that are, that are wiser than us that can help us navigate those waters. You know, let me just give you another brief example. Just this morning, as we brought all of our church board members down, if I had to make decisions for this church on my own, we'd be in trouble, folks. Because one, I'd either make too many decisions and move too fast, or I'd just be crippled by it and wouldn't make any decisions, and then we'd just be stuck. But thankfully, I can go to these wise people and say, you know what, here's what I feel the Lord's leading us to do. What do you think? Let's pray about this. Let's talk about this. Let's see what God wants is best. You see, it matters that we work with one another. It matters when we seek each other out, when we ask others if they can confirm God's call. This happened in Scripture and in another place as well. God was talking to Moses, and Moses was getting overwhelmed with the responsibilities of leading the people. And in Numbers chapter 11, you can go back and read this later today just to make sure I'm telling you the truth. Numbers chapter 11 gives us a story. The people have been delivered from Egypt and slavery, and they've been moving towards the promised land that God is going to give them. But they begin to complain. Can't believe that. They start complaining. They said, Moses, why would you bring us out here? We had all the fish we could eat, and we, it was free when we were in Egypt. And I could just see Moses thinking, free? 
who are in slavery. Nothing's free. But he just listened to them. And he, they're like, we need, we need something else. So Moses went to the Lord and he, he asked God. He said, God, they're, they're complaining that they, they want something besides just fish. And so God then gave them manna from heaven. And he, he produced this, this substance, this bread-like substance from heaven. And it came down every morning. And they were able to collect as much as they needed to their fill. And they were, they were provided for. Well, guess what? They loved it so much, they complained about that. They'd had that for a few weeks. They go back to Moses. They say, Moses, can you do better than this bread? We want some meat. We want some meat. Give us some substance. And Moses is just, I could just see his, his, his temper just rising. I'm assuming that he just couldn't believe it. And he goes back to God and says, God, I've got over 600,000 men plus their families. I, don't, I can't afford meat every day for these people. And God says, they want meat? I'll give them meat. And God took care of them. And God provided. And they just kept doing this over and over, and they kept repeating it. Have you ever complained about God's provision in your life? You don't have to answer that. They're complaining to Moses, and finally, Moses is tired of it. Moses has gotten to the point where he's, he's so frustrated that his prayer to God, him talking to God, is says something like this. So Moses tells God he's frustrated. I'm tired of helping these complainers. I don't want to do this more. And these are the words of Moses. He says, God, why don't you just kill me now? Moses got real with God. Do you think that if we were as serious about our prayer life as Moses was, if we began to get real with God, don't you think that He would respond to that? I think we're, we're too scared to get real with God. I think there's times where we're just too uh, afraid to really open up and really share. Moses got real with God and God says, bring me 70 men. Bring me 70 men and I want to give you some godly counsel to help you in making decisions. And they distributed these men to different, different roles and different responsibilities so that Moses didn't have to do it alone. He asked others for advice and wisdom to know what was from God. How do we know what's best? We've got to know God. How do we know God? We've got to ask others. Seek wise counsel. Number two, we've got to ask God. We need to pray. We need to be like Moses and get real with God. Tell God what we think. Tell God how we feel. We've got to tell God what we think is going on. Do you have somebody in your life, a friend or somebody you can talk to, that you can just tell them everything? You can just tell them what's up. That's how we need to have a relationship with God. He wants to hear from us. I think so many times we're too worried about tiptoeing around how to do the things the right way or say the things the right way or not say it this way or make sure that I'm politically correct in church and in prayer. That seems weird. But we tiptoe around it when in, real, in reality God's saying, why don't you just tell me? Tell me what you want. Tell me what you think. Get real with me. Moses got so real. He was so fed up. He said, God, why don't you just kill me? Just take me now so I don't have to deal with this. Can we get that real with God? You see, a couple weeks ago we said that prayer is just talking to God, but I want to flip that on its head today. Prayer is more than just talking to God, folks. Prayer involves listening 
for his reply. You see, uh, there's, there's scientific facts that prove that men use fewer words to communicate than women do. Amen? All the women said amen? All right, you're still awake. So men, here's, here's a tip for you. Here's some marriage advice. If you're not married yet, this is future advice for your mate. You just take, take heed to this. When you get home from your day and your wife asks you about your day, and you tell her in so many words, it was great, it was fine, and then you go away. That's one way. But if you go in there and you tell her in one, one way or another, and then you say, honey, how was your day? And then you walk away, you're going to be sleeping on the couch. Why? Because they want to talk to you. And it's not just about you talking to them. They want you to listen. And not just hear, that's what I've been told. Don't just hear me, listen to me. Listen to me. Well, that's how we have to be in our, in our prayer time with God. We can't just go to Him and give Him our laundry list of things and then walk away. We've got to spend time listening to Him. We've got to spend time to quiet our heart and to really listen to God. <laughs> As I was struggling with my future, where to go to school, and I figured out where to go to school, and the 50-50-90 rule applied, and I went to Mid-America, and it didn't work out, and I ended up leaving Mid-America and dropping out and doing all this other stuff, and then I found my wife, and I got married, and we started a family, and then I decided now i got to go back to school, and I went back to school, and God began to do, use that and make that a, a, a great thing for us, and then we got involved in this church, and then I got frustrated that I wasn't in ministry, and I started praying, God, when am I going to be in ministry? What kind of pastor am I going to be? What kind of church are you going to give me? And I started praying all these things, and I started getting frustrated, and I started talking, talking, talking a lot to God, but I wasn't listening. And you see, as soon as I started mentioning these frustrations to my wife, I'll never forget where we were at. We were in our, our bedroom apartment, and I was just frustrated. I'm like, all these people I'm in school with are in ministry, and here I am not doing anything, which wasn't true, but that's how I felt. And she said, why don't you just listen? See what God wants us to do. Why don't you just stop talking and start trying to just listen and, and listen for what God has for you. And I'll tell you what happened when that began to take place. When I began to to calm myself down. When I began to stop talking, God's agape love became more and more clear through my prayer time. Because then God gave me something special. He gave me an anchor verse. And, and it was an anchor verse that came at just the right time because I had gotten so frustrated with not being in ministry vocationally and not doing what I felt that God wanted me to do that I said, you know what, I'm just going to, stay in my insurance job and I'm going to work in my insurance job and I'll be able to sit on the back pew of a church, write a nice tithe check and be a, be a good use that way. God can use me that way. And I said, you know what? That's what I'm going to do. And I had an opportunity, I kid you not, as I was get, selling insurance, I wasn't any good at it either. That's the whole other thing. I wasn't any good at it, but this opportunity came across my desk one day. There was a retiring agent that was in the town that we wanted to go live in. He was retiring. He was going to sell his book of business to me. I was going to walk into a six-figure income for my family. And I thought, thank you, Jesus. And as soon as I started to explore that, God slammed the door, put a brick wall behind the door, put a concrete slab behind the brick, 
put another thing that I couldn't get through. In other words, he closed the door so tight that there was no way that I was opening that up. Why? Because his love for me said, BJ, you need to listen to me. And he gave me this anchor verse, Isaiah 41, 8 through 10. And he gave me this verse, and this is what it, this is, I'll, I'll tell you what it says in just a minute. But he gave me this verse, and it was an anchor verse that said, you know what, when I start to ask God and start to really listen to what he has for me, then I can really know what's best. How do I know God? I ask others. Seek wise counsel. I ask God. I listen to him when I pray. And number three, I've got to apply his word. Apply God's word. You see, God's word goes against the world's word. But here's the difference. God's word is true. Moses in Numbers, God's word says to Moses, tell the people to consecrate themselves for today. I will give them so much that they can't stand it. They'll have more meat than they can even eat. (laughs) And then Moses was given an anchor verse, verse 23 in Numbers 11. The Lord answered Moses, is the Lord's arm too short? In other words, God's word is true and says, am I not big enough to take care of you? Am I not big enough to give you the best for you? I was asking these same questions, and God gave me my anchor verse. (laughs) Isaiah 41, 8-10, But as for you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, my chosen one, I have called you back from the ends of the earth so you can serve me. For I have chosen you, and I will not throw you away. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my victorious right hand. Knowing God for me, meant to stop listening to the world that says, you know what, you can go and provide for your family. You can take care of things and you can still go to church and be a good Christian. And I knew that I wouldn't be listening to God's call in my life. And God said to me, BJ, my servant, my chosen one, I've called you out of the depths of the world, out of the lure of the world to serve me. I'm not going to throw you away. In fact, I'm going to help you because I've called you. I'm going to give you strength. I'm going to help you and I'm going to hold you up with my victorious right hand. Did you know that that hand is undefeated? God's victorious hand never loses. What a promise that is. So I had to begin to apply God's Word to my life because I could have easily tried to stick it out and tried to keep going. But instead I said, you know what, God, you're right. You called me back there when I was 13. You equipped me. You began to train me. You began to help me. You began to give me strength even when I'm weak. You began to remind me that you are going to use me and not throw me away. And I began to take that in and I began to apply it to my life. Why? Because I was trusting the Lord to give me the best for my life. 
You see, this isn't some prosperity gospel. This isn't some, God, how can I have more of more and more? That's not it. It's, how can I know you more? Because when I know you more, you will give me your best. I've got to ask others. I've got to ask God and listen to Him. And I've got to apply His Word. You see, God said to Moses, He said to me many times, he's saying, maybe He's saying it to you today. <laughs> Is the Lord's arm too short? I know what's best for you, my child. But in order for you to know what's best for you, you must know me. Hmm. We live in a world of things that are not best. But God has something that is best. The key to knowing what's best is knowing God. Amen? Paul prayed, I pray that your love, your unconditional, your, your agape would abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best. We've got to know Him, folks. If we don't know Him, then we're not going to know what's best. I'm going to ask Suzanne to come to the piano and just play softly. I've been praying about this because part of the problem in preaching a, a series that is a small group series is that you want to give your, your small group something to apply and unpack and, and really discuss and talk about. I hope we've done that through this series for you and your groups. But today in a message like this, it's, it's so easy for us to kind of just skim over the real importance of the message like this. Because we can go to a group and we can, we can put these things in order and we can, we can try our best to do it in our way. But if we don't really know God, it doesn't really matter. So I want to ask you to do something for me. Would you just, right where you're sitting, would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? Suzanne's going to play softly. We're not going to be here long. But I would, I would be remiss if I did not give you an opportunity to respond today. So my question to you today is this. While you're sitting there, while you've got your heads bowed and your eyes closed, maybe you're sitting there today and, and you've been coming to church a long time. You've been trying your best to do what's best. But something's just missing. And, and really the key to that is that you really haven't known God personally. It's, it's hard for you to listen to Him because you don't talk to Him. You, you come and you put on a good mask and a good show, but you really don't know Him. You haven't trusted Him with your life. The Bible says that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And it says if we confess with our mouth that, mouth that He is Lord, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What that simply means is if we say, you know what? I want to know you, God. I want to believe that you are Lord. I want to believe that Jesus did die for my sins. And I want to walk with him every single day. I want to give you a chance to proclaim that today. While you're sitting there, heads bowed, eyes closed. If you don't know God, but you want to today, 
would you be bold enough to just stand up right where you're at? Just stand up and look at me. I want to pray for you.